Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. A very good Tuesday morning to you. I'm Mike McNamara, this is All Marine, <coughs> All Marine Radio, and um, kind of our last Ops Intel brief, if you will, our our open source Ops Intel brief. Uh, joining me from uh, McAllen, Texas, uh, as he has the past couple weeks, is Tim Lynch. Tim, how you doing? I'm doing fine, Mike. All right. And from Kansas City somewhere, Will Cosentini. Will, how are you? Good morning. I'm great. Thank you. You bet. And uh, from uh, the Western White House in San Clemente, uh, Jeff Kenny. Jeff, how are you? Good. Thank you. That was a pretty nasty cough. You busted out right at the intro. I want to thank you for that. Sorry. That's well, all right. you know, COVID. I'm old and stricken. <laughs> well, we, we have to wish Jeff a happy, happy birthday. So, Jeff, uh, Jeffrey, how old are you? I'm 64, like the Beatles song. You're a lying ass. <laughs> I'm, I'm not lying. That's how old I am. Born in 1957. The year more people are born in America than any other year before or since. Is that true? Or even in the whole world before or since, yeah. I'm a proud member of that club. Yes. Although I'm right at the end. I just I yeah. I barely squeak into that. So uh, you're so. a boot. You're a '57 <laughs> boot. <then. laughs> <laughs> the um I am uh, December seventh, nineteen fifty-seven. So wow, yeah. My uncle Tommy was born on December seventh, nineteen forty-one. So oh, we, no kidding. Club too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, all right. Uh, we're just gonna go through the same format. Uh, that we did, so we'll talk about the general situation, and then Tim will cover Intel, we'll cover Ops, and then and then there's a few questions that we'll kick around today, and uh, and then we'll uh, we'll kind of be done with this. Uh, so uh, from uh, interesting stuff from uh, Al Jazeera today, um, and I'll get to that in a second. But Afghan headline: Afghans Afghanistan's 20 years of war. You know, and the caveat to that: this isn't in the headline is. 20 years of its latest war with, with you know, that involved the United States uh, ends. So headline. And then uh, next story, headline, U.S.-Afghanistan withdrawal in numbers. And I'll go over those numbers in a minute. Uh, Afghan Paralympian beats the odds to compete in the Tokyo Paralympics. And the next headline is the Taliban now control Kabul airport. How will they run it? Uh, from Tolo News, uh, which is Afghanistan's biggest news uh, uh, website, U.S. forces fully withdraw from Afghanistan. Um, and then, next headline is uh, Afghans with evacuation documents still in Kabul. Next headline: France and Britain to propose a safe zone in Kabul at the U.N. Security Council meeting that will convene, I guess, evidently soon. Uh, Next headline is U.N. Security Council urges the Taliban to let people leave Afghanistan. Uh, Next headline is airstrike in Kabul on Sunday killed 10 people. 
Next headline, Taliban cuts telecom services to Panjshir, according to the locals there. Next headline, Afghan journalists open letter to the world, please protect us. Next headline, Afghans with evacuation documents still in Kabul. Um, after that, <clears throat> headlines from the American media, uh, from the Wall Street Journal, Taliban celebrate U.S. exit from Afghanistan, vowed to enforce Islamic rule. Next headline, U.S. pledges to fight terrorism in Afghanistan will be harder without boots on the ground. Next headline is a Wall Street Journal exclusive story, fearing the Taliban Afghan translator sought help from Marine Powell. Um, And then from headlines in the New York Times, Afghans confront their future on the first day under full Taliban control. Um, With Afghanistan fully controlled by the Taliban, daunting challenges lie ahead for the government. The Taliban declare victory at Kabul International Airport in disarray. In a final blow of the 20 years war, U.S. envoys close their embassy and exit Kabul. Um, Next headline, inside Kabul airport, the last American soldier leaves and the first Taliban fighter arrives. After the U.S. withdrawal, the fate of Kabul's airport hangs in the balance. U.K. rejects reports that its troops pushed for a gate at Kabul airport to stay open. Interesting. And then another story, she was lauded for challenging a Taliban member on live TV. Then she fled. Um, uh, Op stuff. Um, Well, let me just go through the numbers. I thought this was kind of an interesting uh, thing that uh, Al Jazeera did. Um. U.S. service members from 2001 to 2021, 2,461 were killed in action, 20,000 injured, more than 800,000 served. Uh, U.S. civilians still in Afghanistan, very low hundreds. And I think that's from the Secretary of State and General McKenzie both said that. Uh, Evacuations from the Kabul International Airport August 14th through the 31st. 79,000 civilians were evacuated by U.S. military. Um, More than 6,000 were Americans. 73,500 third country nationals and Afghan civilians. 123,000 total by U.S. and coalition aircraft. Uh, ISIL-affiliated Taliban, ISIL-affiliated fighters in Afghanistan estimated at to be at least 2000 um and then demilitarized military equipment right um up to 70 mraps right um that were le- this is well this is estimated at the airport up to 70 mraps 27 humvees 73 aircraft and necessary equipment at the fire station. Um, A CRAM missile defense system that was rendered inert. So that's by the numbers, right? And so you can see what got got evacuated. And uh, relative to, uh, so that that tells you about evacuations relative to uh, CENTCOM, uh, Equipment and personnel continued to move 
back to their home station. So the operation not done uh, by a long shot. So they still have stuff moving. Department of State has egressed Afghanistan completely. And so uh, it will be curious to see, you know, what diplomacy can do in the face of the Taliban. Has not worked real well with Iran. Has not worked very well with China. So call me a skeptic, but the Department of State is now absent from Afghanistan, and uh, and I'm not. I'm just pessimistic, you know, about what um, diplomacy does in the face of totalitarian governments. Um, I, I think the word appease hops into my head first. Um, with all that said, Tim Lynch gonna do a little bit of intel for us. Okay, Mac from the greater out, um, Afghanistan area. Not terribly, not much in the news per, at all, not much in the news at all. But in, in my efforts to find safe harbor for a group of, uh, of the university instructors, I've, I have found out that Bamiyan and Daikundi provinces are completely under Taliban control. There's nothing in the press about that. But I was talking to one of my Hazara guys who was on the ground. He says, yeah, they're here. The only province in Afghanistan that's not under control of the Taliban is now the Panjshir. So all eyes turns on that. Um, regarding, again, the over-horizon capability, as we heard, the, our plans were to maintain a over-horizon capability to, in, to, for whatever purposes that they would be needed in Afghanistan. One of the interesting tidbits I came up is this is right in the middle of an effort by the services to divest themselves of this I. ISR assets that aren't particularly useful against Russia or China because of their air defense systems. They feel that these drones, they got to get more expensive, more better drones. So at the time that we say we're going to have an ISR capability is the exact time that we seem to be uh, divesting of these very platforms, which I imagine will be turned around suddenly, inflicting more confusion on the budgetary process of the Pentagon. Uh, As the final and one of the one of the other things that uh, as continues to be nothing but bad news, Dr. Amin El-Haq, uh, the head guy of bin Laden's Black Guard, came back into Jalalabad in brand new SUVs and was met by the people. Everybody was happy to see him, apparently, again. Um, so that's outside so of what, the what, airport. What is, what is bin Laden's Black Guard? What does that mean? Well, well, uh, uh, this this cat here was the head of bin Laden's Black Guard. That was the guys that put his Praetorian Guard. So he fled with bin Laden to Pakistan, obviously not all the, all the way to Abbottabad, but uh, no, never to be heard from again until he showed up with brand new SUVs in the middle of Jalalabad. Got it. Got it. Right. Yeah, so that's that's bitter. On this, when we moved, moved to the Kabul airport, again, although not relevant hey, hey, Timmy, for our Timmy, purposes Timmy, today. Timmy, what about, what, about the, uh, what about the border crossings? Are they, do they remain open? Have the Taliban? Border, I, yeah, I'm... I'm yeah, they, it's no different than the few days, uh, than the last four days I've reported, closed to refugees, closed to commercial traffic, open to those with passports in limited numbers is right. the best that I know. There are still a ton of people uh, outside of the um, Spinboldak gates and the Torkham gates, from my understanding, have been cleared out of, of, of civilians trying to get across. Right. Mayor, you, Mayor, know Mayor. That, you know that guy came from Peshawar right through the Torkham gate, right through the Cairo Pass. right. Oh, he absolutely did. Oh, he absolutely did. Yeah, the one that showed up with the brand new SUVs, they yeah. they absolutely ran ran out of Peshawar straight down the uh, Khyber and into Afghanistan. There's no question of that. 
this is just uh, again, we're just calibrating the length, the, the degree of humiliation that we are going to be forced to endure. Um, stories out of Kabul continue to focus on those left behind. Unfortunately, they include, it looks like, at least a dozen Belgian, Belgian Malinos in their cages sitting inside the hangar in Kabul. The Taliban uh, hate dogs in general, hate military dogs in particular. The uh, future for these dogs is too horrible to contemplate. Um, there was one, at least one private plane flown by an NGO uh, um, to pick up U.S. citizens in Kabul, they were told, according to an article in American Greatness, to turn around or they would be fired upon if they attempted to land. That's 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 if if true, I can see that you can't have civilians interfering with with your retrograde. I'd have no big issues with that as a professional, as an American. These are the things these and the dogs will resonate. Finally, Emily Miller, blue check, I believe, out of NBC, has launched a string of uh, of tweets. To include that uh, seven busloads of U.S. women, uh, American passport holders, were turned around at the gate by the general in charge. I don't believe that. I think they're talking about uh, American university students, some of whom may have been AMSITs, some who, most of them <laughs> certainly were not. So as this is an indicative of the amount of confusion coming out of Kabul, knowing Americans, all eyes are going to focus on those poor dogs, which is not really where we ought to be focused right now. We see pictures in the press of the Taliban using helicopters to hang people um, by by dropping a 200-foot rope down through the hell hole and lifting them up and flying around for a while while they dances, particularly gruesome videos. I don't know how widespread that is. I don't know where that happened. All we know of is after active resistance is focused on the beginning of the Panjshir Valley and I would add again for our consideration, the Afghan population is not unarmed. They are and remain armed, but we'll have to see how this plays out. Right now, um, nothing but confusion in the aftermath of this this withdrawal. And um, that the the last picture that the Pentagon put out of the be the general being the last guy on the ramp, I think, was particularly tone deaf. And it's going to come back and bite them in the ass because they're trying to portray this as a competent job, which it obviously was not. And that's that's uh, that's it for the intel brief. Got it. Uh, again, just on the op side, um, uh, outside of Afghanistan, CENTCOM continues to flow everybody uh, to RTB. Uh, inside the AO, rounds complete in Afghanistan and uh, at the Kabul International Airport, obviously uh, left to the Taliban. The um, First of all, uh, Will, Jeff, thoughts on any or all of that? Yeah, I think uh, now we're going to have kind of like a period where the Taliban actually brings some people who've been left behind uh, and um, and help them get out just to, you know, uh, intensify the embarrassment for the U.S. I think that may happen. Um, but then there'll be uh, pretty quickly, I think, an underground, underground railroad type phenomenon where uh, these these organizations that establish ways of trying to get people out of there openly uh, are now going to have to shift because all those people who, who collect as much paperwork as they could and uh, tried to use that to get through the, uh, you know, the Taliban uh, security ring and then our security ring around the embassy and failed, <clears throat> they're going to have to totally divest themselves of that stuff and try and pretend that they, you know, that they weren't that, you know, connected to us. And they have to try and get out. So you're going to have to have, you're going to see, I think, uh, the beginning of 
you know, different types of escape routes. And, uh, and then I'll tell you, it's just, uh, we really don't know how much, uh, how dark it's going to be in regards to, uh, comms and Intel coming out of there. I mean, it's, it's like a sieve right now, I think, but, uh, Will they tighten it up? Will they use uh, their new Chinese friends to track down cell phone, uh, you know, emissions and find people, find people the way we found them, you know? And uh, and then will they publicize the fact that they've caught them, or will these people just simply disappear, you know, to horrid fates? I, it's kind of like up in the air still, uh, you know. It's too close to the event to tell. I think. Will any thoughts? Uh, I mean, I got I got thoughts about the the bigger picture, but not about the tactical picture. Got it. All know. right. Well, let me uh, let me. Uh, let me <clears throat> can, add. can I add one thing, Mac? Sure. This uh, this operation Dunkirk continues with the with the groups I'm working with, which are which are a lot actually. Um, they've all got kids and wives. They humping humping over the mountains of Kunar into Pakistan is not an option. It's going to have to be by road. And eventually, the only way that they're going to get out is with is with the cooperation of the Taliban, or or, or traffic resumes at such density that it makes sense that they could somehow sneak through, um, which is how I moved around was because of dense traffic. It was pretty easy for me. So so these these routes are already being talked about. And another aspect of this thing was what you mentioned before, Mac, about the Marine interpreter trying to work his family up. That particular incident ended in the explosion tragically but there's lots of stories about special forces guys getting them through getting through families who recognized a, a, a marine with red sunglasses specifically and they were getting these guys through to include w- walking them out americans themselves so that that picture i sent you last week was in fact an american and i'm happy for these guys i love to hear that but i had five goddamn families out there with approved told by the State Department to be there to get through the gate that never got through the gate. So I'm a little bit ambivalent about how, you know, how this thing unfolded, because the bottom line is people who we said we were going to take out, we left behind. And and I'm not so sure that a lot of this other activity by the Special Forces guys and their friends, as ballsy as it was, and good on them. I'm glad they got their people out. But they got their people out at the expense of my people. And I'm uh, and I'm just... I'm at the point where I can't, where I just got to shut up. All right. So we'll let you shut up. Um, yep. The, um, and you know what? There's a, probably a hundred footnotes that go into, you know, why somebody got in and why somebody didn't get in. And uh, I mean, in, in the chaos of all of that, like how the hell were they, how were they identifying friend or foe? Why didn't seven bus loads get out on, you know, and, and then if you saw the pictures of the planes that were leaving, were they all filled to capacity? My instinct is no. So in the uh, so there's a lot of questions that hopefully will get answered. Most of them probably will not, though. Um, let me read you a letter um, from from somebody who's listened to this on a daily basis. Uh, thank you for doing the difficult but important this difficult but important service. You're a group of fascinating and surprisingly subtle thinkers. How about that? Um, special thanks, as always, for the honest discussions with the regard for facts, critical thinking, and the acceptance and acknowledgement of the limitations of your analysis and opinions. Totally refreshing and hopefully methodology, regardless of the open, of the often depressing conclusions you come to. 
I can't imagine what a handful of guys must have been when you were puppies. Um, these aren't really marine-related questions, but screw it one. Why do you believe that all meaningful material will languish? I admit the conven- I admit the conventional wisdom. Have you considered that the Chinese certainly have all the necessary technology and know-how to maintain and train to maintain the boodle we abandoned? We have watched them walk out of the U.S. with it for the past 20 years. They will recognize the Taliban and have already signed deals to exploit rare earth materials there. I'm just wondering what you guys think. Uh, I agree with them. So what, what, what do you think? China already have guys sitting on, on a tarmac someplace with uh, all their gear ready to go as maintainers of Humvees, as, uh, as restorer, as maintainers of helicopters in order to uh, support the, the Taliban? They, they they don't have those guys on strip alert because they probably weren't recognizing the windfall coming their way. But the Chinese, as Will mentioned with African neos, there's thousands of them in Kabul. They've, they've been in Kabul for a long, long time. And so they've got more than enough because we got to assume that all these Chinese citizens and businessmen aren't exactly just businessmen. Uh, they've got more than enough uh, um, intelligence on the ground intelligence and ability to connect rapidly with the uh, Taliban and see some of this equipment that they want to take back and re-engineer. No, 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 that's, not, so the, that's not the question. That's not what, is, what he's saying. Not take back and re-engineer. It is, when you say take back, what do you mean? Take back to China and re-engineer? Yeah. No. He's, his point is to maintain and be used in Afghanistan. Well, they... I, I think they can get people to maintain that easily. It's called contracting. We're not the only guys that do that, and we're not the only guys that can figure that shit out about helicopters. Right. My opinion, Chinese exploiting the, the rare earth minerals, they own that Antioch copper mine, but they've got to build a railroad to, to, to get that shit out. And that's what they haven't done in 20 years, so we'll have to see. They've got to, they've got to make serious, gigantic investments to exploit any mineral wealth, to include railroads. And they don't want railroads across the frontier with Muslim Afghanistan into Muslim Ugar-controlled China. Not in their best interest. But it's in their interest to run those air uh, um, train tracks, excuse me, railroad lines up through Uzbekistan and the stands and cut over China a little bit above the Ugar population. But that's just my opinion. Got you mean it. the Uyghur, Uyghur population? I meant Uyghur. Thank you. Yeah. Got it. All right, yeah, Jeff. Will? You know, the the Chinese bogeyman is the answer to every, you know, every threat we have out there. He does that uh, on purpose, in case you don't know. He waits till you're talking, then he moves his fucking phone around to create noise, knowing that as a piss boy, it will, that will, in fact, piss you off. So You know, old people are always doing annoying shit, aren't they? I'm just sitting here immobile. You guys, exactly. you say that all the time, and then you put your video on, and every time there's a fucking noise, it's you fucking around. No, not this time. Just yeah. it's, it was just a just fucking. High. It's another fucking phenomenon. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know this thing about the rare earths too um, is intriguing to me. Uh, the Chinese have a significant percentage of the rare earth the accessible rare earth materials out there. Um, you know, they may make a business decision to 
if if Afghanistan has this plethora of rare earth materials, which I don't know, but I think is uh, probably more myth than fact. Um, why would the Chinese want anyone to exploit it? They've got most of the world market cornered uh, right now, at least at the price that it's at. And, uh, you know, the Chinese going in, it's just hard for me to believe that, that the Taliban took on the greatest superpower in the history of the world and in their own eyes are victorious and that they want to become a client of the second superpower. It just, I don't, I don't get it. Um, and I'm not sure that the Chinese want to um, bolster a fundamentalist uh, Muslim ideological force i it's well the chinese uh, are all over africa and the other thing is this yeah. taliban have pretty much almost total control of afghanistan so now they become they go from being revolutionaries to like east germany in the 1950s and 60s and what they think what they think they're going to need is some way of keeping tabs on their own population because that's the biggest threat to them now and the world experts at keeping their own population under their heel by a blend of technology and other methods is the Chinese, followed by the Russians. So those guys would probably offer up the ability to track cell phones and phone calls and all that stuff we used to do to them in order to make sure that nothing by their lights nefarious pops up uh, you know, from their population. And the first thing is figuring out ways to get the hell out of there. So they could help with that. And I mean, maybe they won't, but I mean, you got to assume that they will. Yeah, I, 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 I don't discount to zero the idea that Afghanistan, the Taliban is going to be out there with the Chinese. But I, I also, I'm just a little wary of that storyline. Okay. Uh, so... Well, and to, in, in, to turn around and kind of like defend Will's position, who needs the Chinese when you got Pakistan? I mean, all that stuff that I just said, Pakistanis who invented them and who are really our true enemies in the war on terror, they could do that for them. And they, and they know them. They're brothers. I mean, they don't even recognize that Duran line border that separates Pakistan and uh, Afghanistan today. So. Right. So yeah, he could. You know, that's a. It's more realistic for them to just go with the devil that they know, the fucking Pakistanis. All right. Uh, next question. In my opinion, now just so you know, I won't. I won't read. The, I. I won't divulge who wrote this to it, but it's somebody we all know, and uh, somebody who's been around the world a little bit and does not write these things without having observed <clears throat> the region and been in the region for extended periods of time. Um, so, with that said, uh, in my opinion, the U.S. and India will end up in a proxy war with China in Afghanistan. Everyone else will play a role, too. Think Africa in the 70s vis-a-vis -vis the Soviets in Cuba. Bad news, the Chinese have chosen this ground. No, yes? I don't know. I, I, I don't know either, but like I said, my experience with the Indians where they were all about business and economic development, not necessarily 
uh, uh, military adventurism, unlike Pakistan, who have people with these units tactically embedded. They're ETTs, as, as Jeff de- accurately described them. So if India has any type of military presence or they've been influencing things tactically on the ground, they did so uh, uh, in a way that that was virtually undetectable by people who would normally detect things like this in Kabul. That would that would indicate a level of sophistication that would be welcomed, <laughs> welcomed if if India felt like they could trust us as an ally anymore. But uh, I don't see it becoming a proxy war for for India. Only I only thing I see is is a lot of people giving money to the Northern Alliance to keep the Pakistanis fighting and keep that place in conflict so it doesn't they don't get a they don't solidify their hold on it. That might be what India will do, but they've never they've never been aggressive about introducing people on the ground as as tactical trainers to that I have I know they didn't because we would have known about it because they couldn't do that without our acquiescence. Jeff, will thoughts about that? Well, they wouldn't have done any kind of military stuff while we were in there anyway. Well, we were in there, and NATO was in there. I mean, so. But they probably have a lot of personal relationships that through the stuff you mentioned, Timmy, that they established. So there may be, uh, I mean, I, I don't know, Rabo, or excuse me, uh, whoever said that probably knows more about it than me, you know. So, uh, you know, th- that aspect of it. Yeah, I mean, to me, the whole thing is a big, it's a big target of opportunity for those who, you know, have the wherewithal to try and get in there and offer the new boys and the new bosses of Afghanistan a deal, you know, well, so the, and, and, I mean, the theory, the theory of the author is there's going to be a proxy war. So the Chinese and the Pakistanis are on the side of the Taliban and the Americans and the Indians are on the side of everybody else. And we're going to be feeding those guys. As I just, I don't get it. I mean, the Chinese don't need to support the Taliban in some sort of proxy war and the Taliban is not going to be the proxies of the Chinese. So, um, are they the proxies of the, of the uh, Pakistanis? Yeah. But they're actually their own. They are the ISI. They invented them. They go, they ran down there every year. They get on there and hang out in Pakistan. It's open. We had a plenty of excuse to attack Pakistan. From 2001 all the way up to today, you know, as far as that goes. And and is it seemingly likely that the Indian interest, again, Afghanistan is not a must-have, it's a nice-to-have for the Indians. If India can use something in Afghanistan to distract. It seems like the attitude of India and Pakistan towards Afghanistan is not totally rational. By our by our definition, they are convinced that everything that happens in Afghanistan that's good is or that's bad is because if they're Indians, they think the Pakistanis did it. And if they're Pakistanis, they think the Indians are doing it. It was insane. I mean, every tour I was in on there, whenever we got up to that and we talked about a lot because, um, you know, the uh, the uh, the Afghan army used India as a way to uh, like, uh, first of all, if they had people accused of crimes. These guys would all disappear to India. And it was like their R&R place for the higher-ranking people, but not wealthy enough to get to Dubai, to go to India. Matter of fact, 
one of our big mistakes in Afghanistan was everybody who ran away after the uh, who ran away uh, after the so the uh, Soviet backed government fell went to India. So you know the uh, and then when we came in, we we embraced with both arms all these guys used to work for the fucking Russians. That's what the ANA hierarchy is made of. Guys who used to be traitors, in my opinion, working for the Soviets against their own, you know, uh, rebel forces. And so, you know, that's how they see it. It's it doesn't make sense by our lights. And if you try and apply common U.S. sense to it, it's not going to make sense. But you got to look at it through their view. They think both India and Pakistan, that everything that happens in Afghanistan is, is, uh, you know, is uh, is related to them. All right. Um, the last thing I want to talk about, or, or the next thing I want to talk about, is um, thoughts on 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 um, the tactical execution. Now that we've unasked the airport, uh, and then tomorrow, what we'll do, just so everybody knows, we'll come back and talk about um, the actual decision to depart and, and more policy issues, and then we'll and then we'll get back to regularly scheduled programming which there's nothing regularly scheduled so that's that'll be interesting but anyway um (laughs) (laughs) uh, not not to give you too much of a look behind the curtains here at all marine radio um so i'm the tactical execution of this as we've left uh the airport um thoughts on that um is it too soon to judge um, do you have any thoughts relative to that? I think I've expressed over the last three days my my growing frustration what appeared to be uh, an unacceptable amount of confusion at those ECPs. Um, I'm a little bit too close to this thing, and, I, and, I, and I'm at the point as we see the dogs left behind, we see the equipment left behind, C-Rams, which aren't that big of a deal, quite frankly. That's old technology. But I'm at the point where where uh, um, I I I'm, I'm want to click off safe and go on a rant. So I'm just not going to say a word about this until tomorrow. I'm I'm just flabbergasted at the ineptitude displayed. I I just I'm just horrified by it. Got it. Will Jeff, the execution of the tactical mission. Yeah, well, I, part of the problem is we don't know what the mission was. Um, and then, so we don't know what, what do you mean? We don't know what the conditions were. Got it. Uh, So the the mission was non-combatant evacuation. The limitations that were put on, we've heard them alluded to, right? Was, what was the mission? Was it go to Kabul, try to get Americans out? Or was it go to Kabul, evacuate Amsterdam's third country nationals, uh, or was it go to Kabul, evacuate people who can get to you, but everyone else, that's too bad, right? So we don't, it, it's hard to say was the mission successful or not, whatever. Well, I and mean, that, I, I think you can deduce what the mission was by, right, by the way they executed it. And I think your last little, yeah. your last little uh, sentence was pretty close to what we saw. Go, go to Kabul, go to Kabul International Airport, do the best you can evacuate as many all the americans that get to you and as many third country nationals and afghan civilians that 
have the documents or not, and I don't know beyond that. But, I mean, if, if I was to judge by what I saw, I would tell you that that was the mission. Yeah, and then, you know, the, the casualty-producing event, uh, I'm waiting for the video on that. And I'm really sort of waiting uh, to see when guys get home. Yeah. Well, that's there's going to be there's going to be a narrative that's going to be put for, matter of fact that's already put forth that this was a heroic, great, well executed, massive airlift of people, but and I think it's uh, because of a lot of things, uh, a lot of it the way the news media approaches these type of operations that uh, more and more truth about what really happened during this thing is going to come out, and you kind of got an indication of it, Mac when we were going through our thing on the uh, the AAVs, because the reaction of the parents to their children drowning, uh, you know, their children marine drowning, um, changed the whole complexion of the, the approach to it. And a lot of stuff came out about how that's, how things are supposed to operate. And part of them came from us that I don't think, you know, that, uh, that like uh, the command thought was going to come out. And I think the same things already happened because of that casualty producing event, you know, six or seven days ago uh, with the, uh, you know, the guys at the gate there, all those deaths. And so consequently, um, they're going to try and put a happy face on this. But there's going to be people coming back. And we discussed it a little bit offline before just what, who we know about uh, things that really happened. And when it comes to what the mission was. Apparently, most of the people who got evacuated were unvetted Afghans, not, you know, uh, visa holders, not former interpreters, and certainly not Americans, because a lot of those types are still left in there. Certainly more than the 44 hostages we had left in Iran. There's more Americans than that, and there's way more former interpreters and other people who, who supported us stuck in there and there's a lot of people in the united states and other places now who uh have a either no connection or a doubtful one they just got packed in the uh, c-17s and flown out so i think a lot of that is going to come out and that's going to be uh, so the happy face wonderful you know evacuation uh, narrative that's trying to be pushed now by the national command authority is going to be uh covered with manure i think within a week if, it, if what we already know is any indication because people now are talking whether it's the marine lieutenant colonel whether it's the family of the uh, the the, uh, the kias and now the wound, wounded marines you know and uh, and soldiers and stuff are at that gate people are talking and they're wanting to tell the truth the um there's an article in politico yesterday that we all read um and uh the headline is Pentagon prepared for mass casualty attack on Kabul airport hours before the explosion. Now, I will tell you that I this I don't know who wrote the headline. Okay? But the headline is not indicative of the story. Okay? And you're seeing the fallout uh of this story today in the the New York Times. You know, there's an article there that says United Kingdom rejects reports that its troops pushed for a gate at Kabul airport to stay open. Well, that gate that being referred to in that, that little headline, the A gate was the Abbey gate. 
Right. Okay? And so the story in Politico paints this very Vietnam War-like situation where you have the Secretary of Defense, right, the head of CENTCOM, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, right, and discussing, based on the intel that they had, the possibility of a mass casualty event, right? And and I'll just read you a couple little paragraphs of it. Commanders calling in from Kabul relayed that the Abbey Gate, where American citizens were told to gather in order to gain entrance to the airport, was high risk and detailed their plans to protect the airport. Quote, I don't believe people get the incredible amount of risk that's on the ground, Austin said, according to classified notes. So, again... On on a separate call at 4 that afternoon or 12.30 a.m. on Thursday in Kabul, the commanders detailed a plan to close Abbey Gate by Thursday afternoon, Kabul time. But the Americans decided to keep the gate open longer than they wanted to in order to allow their British allies, who had accelerated their withdrawal timeline, to continue evacuating their personnel based at the nearby Barron Hotel. American troops yeah. were still processing entrance to the airport in spite of the Department of State right raising right the threat level and telling people do not come near the airport right the commanders want and again what's missing in 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 in, in, in this and again this this conjures up images of you know the terrain model of Quezon and in in the White House supposedly um, during the Vietnam War, it conjures up these, you know, the division commander in a, in a Huey Hill helicopter above the battlefield. And what we what we learn from all that is the on-scene commander has got to have the last vote in all this. You cannot do yeah. this to him or her on the ground. You've got to allow them to do what they think they need to do, and they have the last vote. And this article in Politico just is is this throwback to the 8,000-foot screwdriver, which we know better than to do, right? American troops were still processing entrance to the airport at the Abbey Gate at roughly 6 p.m. Kabul time on Thursday when a suicide bomber detonated his explosive vest there, killing nearly 200 people, including 13 American service members. And so when, when, when when you read this story, right, I mean, yeah. it's just it's just disgusting if it's true, okay. And that's what that's what is going to come out as you know well, as these guys come yeah. home and they'll say, well, right. here's what was going on on the ground. Here's what we try to do, and then here's what we got told, and that's the story Jeff's alluding to. Yeah, you know, let me just say this about about the mass casualty thing. Every mew, and now the the non ship having mews, we call special purpose magtabs. There's one of their standing missions, just like the tactical recovery of, you know, aircraft and personnel and uh, and the ability to do a QRF platoon size and company size. We call Sparrowhawk and Bald Eagle. Another one of their standing missions is mass casualty reaction. So when I first saw that headline, I thought, well, here's the news media in the lack of getting a lot of information from, you know, the um, from the Pentagon. They're make they're doing conjecture until. I read the. I thought everybody's going to have a cure, you know, a, uh, a mass casualty reaction ready to go, and because you know it's likely. Until I read the specifics of where they thought it was going to be, then I thought, holy shit, they knew right. They were, and they were right. 
I mean, we were saying, you know, uh, before this thing happened, I remember saying, yeah, you know, there's uh, they're talking about this Abbey Gate, you know, as being the, you know, the focus of uh, nefarious activity. And then the thing about the Brits came up. Yeah, the Brits and Timmy put in some stuff about, you know, the environs of the airport that he knows better than anybody else. And then bingo, it happens. So it's like that makes the thing seem that makes it stink. As I put in our little text thing, it stinks because they knew right where it was and almost right when it was, and it fucking happened, and it still killed a lot of our guys. That's the disturbing thing. Well, and, and let me add to the political story. Being political, it is of course wrong. The last gate open was a South Gate for the last day, as we remarked uh, back on our, our our intel brief for the thirtieth. That Abbey Gate closed after the incident, never opened again. To the best of my knowledge, the last gates open were the South Gate, which was the other end of the airfield. But, but as I related yesterday, the story of an interpreter, American citizen evacuated at the last stages. Let me tell you the beginning of Rafi's story. Rafi, the intrepid interpreter, tried for three days to get through the gates. A U.S. citizen visiting his parents obviously did not know Taliban were going to take Kabul that fast. I think on the fourth day, he spotted a patrol of British troops ran up to him saying, hey, man, I'm an American. I can't get through the great gate. They said, fantastic. We need an interpreter. And he worked for them the rest of the day doing whatever it is they were doing. He's willing to come on and tell you about it, Mac, if you want to have him on in a, in a future podcast. But but he then got passed to a Marine. And then on that evacuation flight where he noted the number reportedly, as, as far as he could determine, of unverified, unvetted Afghans that that may or may not be true. We don't know if it is true. If on the on Thursday and Friday we're still flying out plane loads of unvetted Afghans for some reason, when when our when our the people who were told to be at the gate are waiting, that's even worse worse than before. But the fact that the Brits were patrolling Greater Kabul in what platoon squad strength, at at best, and and not even with interpreters, they're just picking up Afghans to interpret for them along the way. That indicates the Brits had a little bit of a freedom of movement that we denied to our people, and I question as to why. I don't even know why that Brit SAS unit was down in Kandahar. That's another fantastically interesting thing we'll probably never know. But this, what happened in Kabul is on the record, and it's yeah. not reflecting well on us. I bet um, there's SOCOM people all over JBAT area too, Timmy. Just, not, any, not that my JBAT guys know of. That they may well be, but I don't know why. And I don't know why they'd be in Kandahar. But and, I, I don't you know. know. In, but it's probably good I don't. In regards to the Politico story, which as it's painted by Politico, uh, the secretary, the chairman, and the CENTCOM commander all knew that the bomber was going to the Abbey Gate at this particular time. And yet someone told him to keep the gate open. Right. I, I, I've been thinking really hard about that in the last day. And uh, um, again, I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical because a big part of this mission was to not get anybody killed. So, um, you know, where did Politico get their information? They, they, they obviously have some information that came from a leaker uh, when the secretary and CENTCOM and the chairman are on a secure VTC. There are very, very few other known people in the room. And it may have been a, you know, it may have been a, a JCS meeting. 
Yeah, but they're uh, not denying it, Will. They're not denying it. They just, no, they're not denying it. Right. I just uh, the I. But the idea is that we well, had. Hey, well, let me, let me just, let me, uh, for, in case of the footnotes, I'll just read this. This account of the internal conversations among top Pentagon leaders in the hours leading up to Thursday's attack on the air, at the airport is based on the classified notes from three separate calls provided to Politico and interviews with two defense officials with direct knowledge of the calls. Politico yeah. is withholding information from the Pentagon readouts that could affect ongoing military operations. So they they validated it with two different people that were on the call or had access to the notes of the call. Yeah, but and 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 I I read the Politico article. Right. So what the picture Politico is painting is that the seniorest, the most senior people in the US military knew that an attack was going to occur at a specific time and a specific place and set the conditions for that attack to be successful. Well, again, when you say specific time, specific place, they knew the threat to the Abbey Gate. In terms of time, right, the the Department of State, right, said it was imminent, right? They don't know it's a specific time, but, right, they're saying it's imminent. Imminent is now. Right. And so, so to me, and this goes back to our discussions that day, is that force protection and threat condition, they're synced on the dial, right? One goes up, the other goes up. In this case, what you have and what Will was just talking about is, right, the most senior leaders in the, in, of the American military are deliberating, right, and they have not adjusted the force protection measures on the ground. Because let me tell you, you could close the gate and then reopen it momentarily when the Brits show up. I mean, there's a whole host of things that you could do to protect those Marines and soldiers and sailors that are out there, right? It's yeah, not an either-or proposition. Um, and But, again, what you're seeing in the political article is the, is the epitome of why we don't do the 8,000-foot screwdriver. It's why well, we this, don't. This is why I want people to get home that, that we know because it's – it's <laughs> um, look as fucked up as things have been in Afghanistan since the fall of Kabul in um, 2002. This would be almost criminal if we had that fidelity of intelligence at the most senior level, and we still gave an order. Uh, that you, you calculate risk in everything that you do. But this is basically saying, I am about to get shot in the head and I'm going to stand up and take it. And so I'm, I'm still a bit skeptical, but I also, for all I know, I'm naive. Right, right. Well, and then there's a, there's a quote in the article, um, and it quotes... Uh, Secretary Austin talking about is it's it's vastly is what what rank who uh, the 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 admiral um, Admiral Vastly isn't he the guy in charge Yeah, he's a SEAL team SEAL team six guy. He was in charge of the six hundred men left behind before this all started. Right, uh, Austin is quoted as saying. 
hey, he's our guy on the ground. If he believes that, we ought to listen to him. Which begs the comment, you fucking think? And it's just, and when you read this stuff, and then you see, you know, you see the pictures of these, you know, beautiful young men and women, and you think that we fucked this up. It's one thing when they beat you to the punch, right? It's one thing when they outthink you, or it's another thing when it just randomly happens because sometimes shit randomly happens in, in a conflict. It's another thing. When we've learned these lessons in our history, when we've done these operations before, and we know that we know the ground rules, the on-scene commander, right, has to have the vote, and we don't need some fucking idiot, you know, however halfway around the world deciding what goes on at that fuck. We know that, we fucking know that, and so you look at this. Oh, that's, that's kind of like a constant throughout this thing, because you're right. It's, to me, it's like, how do they not know? that the whole Afghan security force was just going to fold up simultaneously and totally. How do they not know that? Well, one possibility is they did know. Somebody told them, and they chose to discount it or ignore it. That's another possibility. All all these guys did know a lot of stuff and did pass it on and got told to shut up in color. We talked about this. So that's... We talked about this relative to to um, Bagram and saying, okay, so we're OPT in this. And, and there's been Intel community people that have leaked shit and say, we predicted this. And so to me, as we're sitting in this planning conference and the Intel guys are doing their thing and, you know, you ask them, all right, so how does this thing go? And then they begin to quantify shit, right? Mm-hmm. We believe it's going to go. Well, how confident are you in that? Well, we're probably 70% confident in that. Okay, the 30%. What does the 30% say? Well, the 30% say that this thing is going to go down quick, that they will not fight, right. right? And so you're sitting there listening to that. As a planner, you have the obligation to plan for that, okay? Yeah. Well, 30%. Well, that's, the 30 missing, that's the missing man. 30%. The yeah, I know. but planner, thir- Because when you have an OPT like this, wouldn't you have your NATO partners involved, everybody who's affected? You'd have the Afghans involved, or at least part of it. They apparently did it in a compartmentalized way because when we when we pull out of Bagram and then later on we decide to, you know, co- commence the evacuation out of Hkaya, even the NATO uh, partners were flat, were shocked. They were surprised by it. They weren't given, you know, proper, uh, you know, a heads up that this was going to happen. That's another. So that 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 suggests some kind of uh, small version. Well, no, well, the, uh, again, small group, blah, blah, blah. But and, and my point is this. So if you're sitting in that OPT, that planning session and right. and somebody assesses that there is a there is disagreement and there is this this idea in the intelligence community and they would base it on chatter that they hear, right? That's broken squelch, right? That, that there are, there are deals already in the works. Fuck. We were talking about that. We've been talking about that for over a year. Okay. Yeah. And so, so there's, there's a, 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 let's just X percent and 20, 30, whatever the fuck it is. As planners, we sit down and say, we have to account for that. 
if those fuckers are right and that's worst case, case, then we got to keep Bagram, right? We got to keep. We can't. That's exactly the point. We, we can't exactly keep Bagram. And so, you know, so the th- these discussions are really are really important. The footnotes are really important because, I mean, it appears that so much of this was preventable based on what was available at the time and not doing, you know, armchair quarterbacking on Monday morning. What did they know? When did they know it? And what decisions did they make? My own opinion is that is going to be very, very unkind to some people, right? And my own opinion is, is, is General Milley, you know, should not survive, though he probably will. My own opinion is Secretary Austin should not survive, and he probably will. But I, so when you look at the overall, they are responsible for the planning, the assumptions, and the execution. And as Jeff said, we don't know we don't know that those discussions, and they ought to come out at some point, because but, yeah, we we've already done Vietnam. We already made these surprised. mistakes. You know that's what pisses me off. Yeah. We did Vietnam. We know these mistakes. We should have learned, and we fucking did it again. Then somebody yeah. should pay. Well, like Will, Will gives us good insight as to what it's like at the, you know, up there at the head of the, like the service chiefs and they're in, you know, they're where it goes from them to the civilian leadership and, the, you know, tanks and, and meetings and, you know, the way stuff goes. But what if you get the word, this is a conclusion you can't come to. What if well, you get yes, the word, there's, there's this a is good a conclusion you must come to and you must not ask about the force cap. That is verboten. No matter what. In other words, they get told, just like the fucking Soviet army back in the 1980s, this is what you're going to ask, and this is the answer you're going to get. There's evidence that, that, that that's what's going on here. What gets me is is that that the president, the SECDEF, the spokesman, the chairman, uh, General McKenzie, the Secretary of State, the National Security Advisor should feel a sense of humiliation about this um i don't know if they know that if they do i actually don't know if they care um you know i thought that 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 i i sent a little thing to you guys yesterday you know what did eisenhower say on victory in europe day he said the mission of this allied force is fulfilled there's no patting on the back and i i what, what gets me is that I know General McKenzie reasonably well, and he's yeah. not a stupid man at all. No. But I thought that the tone of his thing yesterday was absolutely horrible. Uh, this is a I, I, I can't remember the words, but it was it was a it was a pat on the back. It's a little bit restrained, but it was still a pat on the back. And I found that to be absolutely horrible. Um and, you know, the narrative of the president, the spokesman, the chairman, the secretary of state and the national security advisor and the sex state and the national security advisor are the absolute worst. Um, looking to claim, claim credit for the great job that's been done. Um, it's uh, it's I mean, it's really it's unbelievable. It's disgusting. Uh, and, and unlike you guys, I'm not really emotionally tied to Afghanistan. But it just, it's... Uh, well, I am. And let me I tell know. you, when I, I, when, when I see... You are when not, I, Will. When I see the Secretary of State 
get up for what the fifth time and say this is personal for me? Shut the fuck up, man. I I I see that and I'm just like, stop it, man. Stop it. Personal is being a gold star mother. That's fucking personal. That you watched it, that ain't fucking personal, man. I'm so sick of that son of a bitch. I mean, it makes me, I, I have to just, I turn it off, right? I mute it, and I, can't, I just can't watch it because it's, it's theater. It's political bullshit theater, right? And, and how do you frame, framing failure as victory? Give me a fucking break. I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one feeling this way. Yeah, that's what bothers me, I got to tell you, about the chairman and, and about uh, CENTCOM. It's that, look, you were given a shit sandwich and told to take a bite. That doesn't mean you got to tell the person who gave it to you that it tasted good. I mean, gentlemen, exactly right. I agree. He could have been he could have been on the line saying yesterday he could have said our mission ended at this time. Uh, I appreciate the efforts of everyone involved. Uh, Thank you. Well, General, you know, how do you think it went? Um, We were tasked to do a certain task. We completed that task at this time. Yeah, yeah, but how about all those yeah. Americans? This, is, know, this mean, is personal for me. I was there. My son was there. Stop that shit, man. Yeah. Stop yeah, it. Need, exactly. And, again, you refer to the Giants. And like it or not, Eisenhower was a Giant. Refer to Grant at Appomattox. Refer to Washington when he went back to Congress and gave them Gave his commission and his sword back. Yeah, but will that would be that would imply that they've read history and they understand it and they're willing to apply it. And we we just saw right thirteen coffins come home, which tells us they didn't fucking do that. Yeah, that's the thing. I know that these are not dumb people, right. and it's it's frustrating to me to no end uh, to see this. And I would say it it doesn't it doesn't speak highly of their staffs either. But let me just say this, though, and and, and we've had this discussion for a long time on the show, and Lieutenant Colonel Schuller, who who we're not going to talk about today. got fired over Bogdan. Right. um, Is is guys who are pricks about the truth, they don't become general officers. Okay? And, and, and And I believe that is the great crisis of, of the Department of Defense and, and the United States military. Into what we promote are high-functioning conformists, and this is what you get, because they won't say no. The Secretary of Defense will not look at the President of the United States and say, Mr. President, I will not execute that. I, w- I, cannot, I cannot be a part of this. I will resign. Nobody fucking does that. And so you reenact Vietnam. And you're escorted there by the flag officers and general officers of the United States military. That's wrong, and it's got to be fixed, and that's what we're alluding to. If somebody else was in that seat, somebody we know that wasn't afraid to tell the truth, somebody that did click off safe, right? Somebody who didn't stand up and say, oh, this is personal for me, right? So if we had – anyway, Mac, you I'm, know, I'm ranting now. Well, you're, that, that problem you say is – uh, the problem, uh, endemic problem that's been ever since there were militaries, because, no, you know, the thing that's different about the United States is that Constitution and particularly the amendments have produced a free press ways of people having the ability and the right to speak out. But with that has to come, you know, um, circumspection and courage. 
And that's what's missing. And the reason it's missing, there's nowhere to go. I mean, basically, our our media is more or less like Pravda was for the Soviets in the 70s and 80s. They parrot the party line with a few exceptions, very few exceptions. So consequently, there's no one looking askance at fuck ups that happen with the same, uh, you know, the same force that there used to be like in the 60s and shit like that in the 50s where people would say, wait, whoa, this is a fuck up. How did it happen? And hey, let me say? take my Jeff segue. Here we go. As you try to explain this with, with our, our knowledge base and what we know, given the benefit of the doubt to those on the ground executing, because we know some of them too, at least you guys do, I don't, you're, 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 you're going to end up ranting, which is, uh, and welcome to the club. Now I'm going back to shutting up because I yeah, tell you, I, I, I could go on a I could, I could go a long time on on on, on stuff that makes no sense. Yeah, I've got to say that you know we we know some some very very good officers who who are in the highest levels out there, and uh, you know we know the character of a bunch of those guys. Um, if a couple of things could come out of this, you know, item one. Um, you know, we've talked about the Rother incident a few times. We killed Rother in, I think, 1988. And he saved a lot of Marines in the future. Because we looked at that with a very technical eye to figure out what we did wrong about accountability and decision-making and other things. Hey, Will, just give and, 15 seconds on what that event was for those people who uh, aren't familiar. Yeah, so we've done it before. So, so we're an exercise in 29 Palms where we had a series of road guards to ensure that people did not stray into live fire areas. Uh, Rather was uh, inadvertently left behind overnight, and he ended up uh, dying in the desert. And there was a very big investigation, uh, and that investigation was required reading throughout the force. Uh, and it, it sort of got burned into our soul about how to properly do accountability and actually live the words, leave no Marine behind. And I, and I think that, that that investigation saved lives going forward because uh, it was imprinted very deliberately. And so I don't know what happened at the Abbey Gate, and I don't know the decision-making there. But, you know, the Marine Corps would be a very mature organization if they would look at that, not to reach down and fire people for decisions, but to go through and figure out how were these decisions made? And if we could do it all over again, how would we make those decisions, both at a tactical, you know, uh, uh, technique, procedure type thing, but also as a character thing for officers within the chain of command? Had you known this and had you known that, what would you have done uh, to help people make better decisions? And I got to tell you something. The, the books will be written about Afghanistan. Unfortunately, there's going to be another book just like the McMaster book about Vietnam. Right. But this should drive an introspection in the Marine Corps. And from everything, from the why do people in uniform think that they need uh, to, to play to a political narrative, which we've seen in spades in the last six months, um, down to 
how do you operationalize truth to power? And I'll tell you, the commandant has, I think, said about how he wants to do this. Um, he, he's failing. He's absolutely failing. And uh, uh, we got to get something out of this. And 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 in some ways, the job is easier than post-Vietnam because the force is good, right? right? The tactical part of the Marine Corps is not broken as it was coming out of Vietnam. The force was a disaster, and it took two heroic people, uh, Perro and Wilson, to look it in the eye and fix it. Right. Uh, but, but this is a more insidious problem if... And, and the generals after Vietnam, you know, I think a bunch of them recognized, you know what, I should have told McNamara this, and I should have told Johnson that, and I didn't. But now it doesn't appear that they recognize that, and that, again, when... Uh, and that's not forgivable. Because we, no, it's because not. The, it's horrible. Right, because these guys, we we who were junior to they, or, or peers of them, we, we were forced to study this shit our entire careers. And there's no excuse. Talked about it incessantly. In, yeah, look, in Millie's, right. Millie's comment of a week and a half ago that no one could have predicted this. That is pure political posturing piling on the administration's narrative. That is not your job, General. The secretary yeah. can do that. The national security advisor can do that. The secretary of state can do that. They're all politicos. You're yeah, not, and and that and, and truth be told, that's that, what that's what begot that's what begot those this, the, those the intel community leaking. We we predicted it. We told exactly. them, you know. And so that's a political statement, and 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 I I hate to say it, but General McKenzie's uh, lauding the mission yesterday is a political statement, and that is wrong. You can't. You've crossed that line now overtly, and it, it uh... well, you know what? So what that tells us is when you get to that, when you get to that rank, you are a politician. You're just wearing a, you're just wearing a military uniform, and that has to stop because we have enough politicians, right? right? right. What we need you to be, if you're being a politician, who's being the military guy? That says the hard thing. That's capable. That says I will resign. Who's being that guy? You know what the answer to that is? Nobody. Oh Nobody. Well, we we recently had a chairman who was not overtly out there politically. What he did behind the scenes, nobody knows because it's behind the scenes. And well, so apparently, whatever it was was ineffective. That that may be true, but it's never been put out. It's yeah, never been leaked to try and get a political agenda. Uh, I've got a question for Jeff. You can do. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, Some first lady made a famous comment about meeting generals and politicians around the world, and they're all the same. They're all the same man. I don't. Does that sound familiar, Jeff? Eleanor Roosevelt. Yeah, Eleanor Roosevelt. And 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 at the time, I believe the point was our generals aren't quite fitting in that same mold, but now Mary, they are. That's the only point I wanted to make. This is this just it's just too discouraging. The the. We're doomed. Yeah, that yeah, seemed like I, that I seemed said, like the appropriate thing to say. Final yeah. comment. 
this is humiliation and it's not clear that the, that the leadership knows it and yeah i don't even know if that's worse or not so oh, i know yeah. i'm fucking humiliated it, it, it is because are. you've deluded yourself by saying this this was a great operation no no failure is failure period mm-hmm. There is no putting lipstick on this pig, frosting on this turd, however you want. You're not, you, the United States, its strategic interest has been set back by 20 years of fighting, 20 years of American treasure, and over 2,000 American lives, and, and probably four and a half times that that have come home and committed suicide. Yeah, it's like some uh, acid-tongued lady said. You know, you can't screw up and get the ship sunk and then brag about the lifeboats. Exactly. We didn't laud the salvage effort at Pearl Harbor. Although it is interesting, right? It is. It is, but we did not fucking laud it. It was probably Navy Admiral to a bunch of hardworking sailors, and that's all it needs to be. Not to the whole goddamn world, right? Yeah, we didn't laud that, so... Well, and then, which kind of brings us to, I mean, you know, tomorrow what I want to do is is kind of broaden the lens. I want to address what Secretary Panetta's been saying that that look you know the islamic fundamentalists in the region are better today than they were on september 11 2001 and and he Without says at at some point we're we are going to have to go back in there and so we could well, tomorrow I want to talk about that I want to talk I want to broaden the lens I also want to talk about you know you hear more and more that for a couple of billion dollars and 3,000 boots on the ground, we could have sustained the government, right, sustained the military, and sustained our strategic interest in the region and denied it uh, to, you know, uh, all comers who would come thereafter. I agree. For that and price. You know and so I want I, I made... to talk about that tomorrow um, because that only makes this failure fucking worse. So, Jeff? If nothing else, we could have just stroked the fucking ANSAF Instead of just turning off the lights and not telling them we're leaving Bagram and doing the same shit in, in regards to the H. Kaya thing. Absolutely. All right. Well, as as good as we tried to be about keeping our emotions out of it, I, can, I just hope everybody knows that's not easy when you watch this shit on a daily basis. And, and you've had the experiences that we've had. You've devoted your life to the things that we've devoted our lives to. But most importantly... I mean, every one of these guys has been a leader of Marines and sailors, right? We know what incredible human capital walks through the door of the Marine Corps. We've seen it, you know, the selflessness, their courage. And again, not every once in a while, whenever you call on them, these motherfuckers, man, they put it out there and they'll die for it. And to see it, to see what happened at that airport, is it's like it's like somebody bludgeoning your heart because we fucking know better and so that's what to me is awful about all this so with that said and again we've tried to <laughs> we've tried to keep that out of all of this and uh the course of these last two weeks and i i appreciate first of all i appreciate you guys adjusting schedules getting up early uh jeffrey and uh and and tim you and will you know uh putting this in 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 your day because again i've got so many emails and text messages thanking uh, thanking all of us for this kind of dispassionate um, way that we've looked at the last couple of weeks, which is what professionals do. But I just want to tell everybody how difficult it's been to watch it 
and uh, know the difficulty factor involved, but know that we've learned a lot about all these kind of operations, know how they should operate, and then see the loss of life, um, you know, there, the questions that have been raised, and uh, just the frustration that occurs because of it, and then see people try to paint a failure as something not that's not a failure. So thank you very much to all three of you guys. Uh, you know, Matt, yeah. I get up early anyway because I'm old, and I want to be awake when I die. You know, so I can say, <laughs> oh, just as I suspected, today's the day, damn it. <laughs> Let me get a cup of coffee first. Yeah. Uh, hey, I wanted to real quick issue a correction on uh, my Rafi story. The uh, the uh, Ron uh, Ron Perry was a major when he was at doing that job. He's one of those guys who has retired as a major and like like us often gets confused as a colonel. Ron's a loyal listener. We've got a lot of loyal listeners in Kabul and other parts of Afghanistan that have reached out to me. And we're not done trying is all I could tell them. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. That'll do it on this Tuesday. A historic day. Uh, The sun comes up and the United States no longer in Afghanistan. Uh, Brings to mind images that I grew up with, that we all grew up with, of uh, American forces off the coast of Vietnam. Uh, The North Vietnamese Army... Right, driving through the gates of different government um, buildings in Saigon. And the Vietnam War essentially being over. So uh, we turn the page. Uh, or maybe we'll see if we turn the page on Afghanistan. So, again, I want to thank Will and Jeff and Tim for doing this the last couple of weeks. We'll do one more installment tomorrow while we're We'll kind of broaden the lens and talk about our strategic interests, and then the uh, and maybe what's uh, what we believe to be in the future. So, uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, for those of you that have taken the time to send an email or a message, uh, thank you very much uh, for that. Um, humbling, humbling, humbling. Um, but I think. What we try to do in the spirit of the way we were raised as officers in the United States Marine Corps uh, to be detached, to to explain the things we can, to uh, to footnote the things that we don't understand, to express the fact that, you know, we're looking at the same news reporting that everybody else is, but still in that context to try to make uh, some sense of it for everybody else out there. So uh, so to those of you that have written, thank you very much. I'm Mike McNamara, the Salt Marine Radio. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. And uh, if you know guys that are veterans of Iraq or Afghanistan, don't be afraid to check on them. Right? Hey, man, how you doing? And if you're one of those guys and you're struggling and your friends call and say, hey, how you doing? Don't lie to them. Tell them the truth. If you're struggling, say, I'm fucked, man. Watching this shit over the last two weeks, listen to the bullshit that I've heard come out of the mouths of our politicians is fucking me up, man. I'm hurting. Tell them the truth and that will beget a conversation that that everybody knows we we all need to have. I'm fortunate that I get to do it here a little bit every day with my friends. So, Um, But reach out. Reach out to your friends, your your fellow tribal members and just ask them how you're doing. 
And if you're struggling, don't be afraid to share that with them. Because normally, your honesty will beget their honesty. So, with all that said, um, I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio. Have a great Tuesday.